And one thing I realize when it comes to the journeys that God places us on and the plans that God has for our life, uh, one of the things we have to be very cautious about is not rushing that plan. Uh, If we're not careful, a lot of times we run ahead of God and the plans that he has for our lives. And uh, I want to encourage you this morning as we look at God's word in Acts chapter 16 to really pray for and seek discernment in everything that God's doing. Because what you might think is happening may not be exactly what's happening. In Acts chapter 16, we see Paul with a couple of his friends, Silas being one of them, on a missionary journey. They're in the area of Philippi. This is a Roman colony. Uh, This is full of Gentiles. And uh, again, Paul's journey is about reaching the Gentiles. And so he's out in this area and they're preaching the gospel. And there's a young lady who is uh, owned by some uh, gentlemen who use her for this demonic gift that she has. She is demon-possessed, and she's able to foresee some things and kind of look into the future. And so they take that demonic gift, and they capitalize on it, and they're making money off of her. And as they're going through the town, Paul and Silas, this demon-possessed girl starts trailing them, and she starts proclaiming, hey, these guys are sent by God to preach the gospel to you. Now, that would sound like a good thing, right? Like if we discern, you know, quickly and we rushed into things, we might sound like, hey, man, even the demons are proclaiming the gospel. This is great. And yet we see that Paul is not happy about this, I think in part because Paul does not need a demon's endorsement. And so this keeps happening. Eventually, Paul gets tired of it. He turns around and he rebukes the demon and he casts the demon out of the young girl. And I think it's funny, like this is how full of the Holy Spirit Paul is that he casts out demons just when he's annoyed with them. You know, I'm so tired of you. Get out of there, demon. I mean, mean, that would be a phenomenal thing. We should pray for that level of filling of the Holy Spirit. Some of y'all be trying to cast out demons that aren't there. You're just annoyed with the person. (laughs) I'm going to try that the next time my kids annoy me. It's like, demon, get out. (laughs) No, it didn't happen. Okay, she's just annoying. Um, And so this this happens, and then obviously the owners of this slave girl are furious because they just lost out on their golden goose, their cash cow. And so they kind of start this ruckus. Now, it's not illegal to cast out a demon, but they start bringing up all these charges. Hey, these guys are out here, and they're trying to talk about this foreign god that the Roman government hasn't said is okay, and, and they're causing this big stir, and they eventually get Paul and Silas arrested. Now, a big reason why is that Paul and Silas look Jewish. Even though the Bible tells us they were Roman citizens, they were also fully Jewish, and they looked very Jewish, unlike their compatriots like Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, who would have been a Gentile. He probably didn't look Jewish the same way Paul and Silas did. So here you got a little bit of the hatred that was brewing within the Roman Empire towards the Jews. And so you got a little anti-Semitism. You got a little bit of, obviously, upset because they lost their money. And so they bring up these Trump charges, and they get these guys arrested. And, and, the, and, and it gets kind of crazy as you start to see what unfolds in the story. But let me kind of read it for specifically for you in Acts 16, verse 19 through 30. It says, her master's hope of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities, authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials and they're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. 
They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. Let me just pause right there for a moment. A jailer was responsible for his inmates. And if an inmate were to escape, the jailer would then be subject to the same punishment that the inmate was going to take. And so this guy realized if these people escape, they're going to kill me and probably take out my family too. So he's about to commit suicide at noticing the doors open. But then check out what happens. But Paul, Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is a phenomenal move of God. This is a powerful, powerful moment. And I believe there's a lot that you and I can take from this passage of scripture. I was talking to pastor about this earlier. Some of these scriptures for me are the most challenging because I can write a thousand sermons on that one passage. There's so many powerful little nuggets that God lays in there and so many lessons that we can pull from. But uh, I was trying to just stay streamlined and what God was trying to communicate. And the word that the Lord gave me was don't rush. I think it's important when God's on the move that we use discernment to really understand what God is asking of us. If we're not careful, we can miss out on God's plan because we rush through things. We run ahead of God. We, we hear part of the information and then we run 100 miles an hour without getting the rest of the information. Or, or we think God's saying, go right, and so we go right when God was meaning to go left. Or regardless of the situation, oftentimes we don't wait on the Lord for the fullness of his plan. We don't wait on God for what the next step is supposed to be. And when it comes to God's plan, it's not always about what you do, but it's also about the things that we're wise enough not to do. So if you're taking notes, here's a few things I picked up from Paul and Silas. And the first one is this. Don't be in a rush to defend yourself. Paul and Silas are are out there doing God's work. They're being the, the people that God called them to be. And if you read on with the story, Eventually, they are released. The next day, the magistrate shows up, and part of the tactic that they would often use in these areas to kind of bring terror into a community is they would capture somebody, oftentimes illegally. They'd beat them up, they'd have them a night in jail, and then they'd release them so that word would spread. And so the, the magistrate shows up, and they're like, all right, you guys are free to go. And the funny thing is, Paul goes, no, nah, we ain't going nowhere. And, and it's like, well, why? He goes, we're Roman citizens, and you took us out illegally. You got to understand, within the Roman Empire, there were very strict rules, and there were a lot of just uh, rights that a Roman citizen had that could not be violated. And what they did to them was in complete violation of a Roman citizen. So much so that the magistrates kind of freaking out, and they want to sweep this under the rug. They're like, no, we didn't realize it. We didn't, we didn't know. And, and so now they're full of terror, but Paul calls them out. And he's like, no, no, you're going to apologize to me. You're going to take care of us. We'll walk out of here when we feel like it. So Paul's holding all the cards right now. But here's what I was thinking when I was reading this passage. If Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, 
and being Roman citizens would have prevented the beatings and the jailing and all the injustice that they felt. Why didn't they just say it in the beginning? As soon as they were captured, why didn't they go, oh, 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 we're Roman citizens, you can't do this. Even if it didn't happen in the beginning, let's say it was just a rush to judgment and they just beat them before they can get a word out and, and everything kind of unraveled. Well, what about while they were in the jail? The Bible says it was midnight by the time God moved in that miraculous way. So that whole time in jail, while everyone's listening to them singing and praying, couldn't they all say, and by the way, jailer, we're Roman citizens. <laughs> You're going to be in big trouble. You better release us. See, if they would have defended themselves, they would have avoided a lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of physical pain. But they realize God's doing something. God's doing something, and so we need to be quiet. I think a lot of times as believers, we're very quick to want to defend ourselves. Especially when we're trying to do God's work and we get a little bit of opposition, we want to defend ourselves. We want to, we want to talk people down. Oh my gosh, especially online. We, we're all keyboard warriors when it comes to having arguments online. And so we get into these back and forth conversations that never lead to anything. And our goal is to defend ourselves when really our goal is not to make a point, but to make a difference. Paul and Silas realized we have an opportunity to make a difference right now. We don't know what God is doing, but we know that we haven't done anything wrong. And somehow God is setting things up for us. Luke chapter 12, verse 11 through 12 says this, and when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Let me tell you two things. You don't need to defend yourself and you don't need to defend God. God can defend himself. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have answers for why we believe. That doesn't mean that uh, we don't stand up for God in, in the sense of being bold in our faith. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, again, sometimes we get so caught up in making our point that we lose the person. We lose the opportunity to witness to somebody. And I was talking to my wife about this uh, a while back. There was a, a student who had grown up in our youth ministry and had walked away from the Lord and had been gone for years and really struggling and had gotten really, really bad. I mean, things that I would have never imagined. And after a while, many, many years, we, uh, he reached out and we were able to reconnect and, and we went out for a cup of coffee and I was really excited to, to see if you know, God could start to bring him back. And he, he was not in a good place. We sat down and he had a, a notebook of grievances and he just began to read out all the ways I failed him as a human being. And just, ra and again, I'm looking at it like, most of that's not even true or at least it's misinterpreted, but I got blamed for his whole life. And I'm like, I would only see you an hour a week. How am I getting blamed for your whole life? But again, I think part of it is the people that are closest to you are often gonna be the ones that you lash out at. And so, I got to be honest with you, as he's sitting there reading off all these things and, and making all these accusations and really just ripping me apart, it hurt deeply because I love this person. And it, and it made me sad. And, and after I got done with being sad, it made me mad. And everything in me wanted to say, well, let me tell you the truth. Let me, and I just wanted to call him out. Of Here's what's real. You need to take responsibility. Da, 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 da. And the Holy Spirit told me, quiet yourself. Let him speak. He needed to process his pain. And I knew where I was. I knew what I did and what I didn't do. I was justified before the Lord in my heart. And so I just sat there and I let that person take it out on me. I let him be a punchy bag for that day. Now, I'm not saying I was gonna let that happen for the rest of my life. But in that moment, 
Discernment told me, stay quiet. And about a year later, that young man walked back into this church, gave his life to the Lord, and is so much better now than he was years ago. And I thought to myself, what if I would have caught up myself, and what if I would have been so caught up in defending me that I would have lost him? If I was so caught up in defense, no, you got to respect me. I'm a pastor. I'm this. I'm a grown man. If I would have been so caught up in my own ego and defending my own insecurities, I would have lost the soul. Oh, but, you know, at least I would have been in good standing. Guys, I got over it like in a day. It wasn't a big deal to me. But he felt safe enough now that we can have that conversation later on. And again, just for he's apologizing. We're great. and, And I'm so proud of how far he's come along but I'm saying this in hindsight now, right? There are a lot of opportunities that we might miss with people because we're so caught up in defending ourselves that we don't leave room for God to do what he's trying to do in that situation. And I got, listen, that was verbal abuse. I can only imagine what Paul and Silas were feeling as rods were being thrown on their backs and their backs are being ripped apart and bleeding everywhere. And yet they remain silent in their defense because they recognize that God is up to something. Sometimes when God is on the move, it's best to be quiet and listen. The second thing I noticed, not only did they not rush to to that aspect, but we got to be careful not to rush to complain. You got to be careful not to rush to complain. Why am I saying that? I think from a natural standpoint, Paul and Silas had every reason to complain to God, had every reason to be frustrated. I mean, even justifiable reasons to complain. I mean, they cast out a demon from a girl and they get beaten with rods for it. They're they're beaten even though the law said they should have been protected as Roman citizens. They're in a dungeon within a prison just because they were being obedient to God. Listen, I I don't mind if bad things happen to me when I do bad things. Because everyone, yeah, I I deserve that. Like if if I'm an idiot with my wife and she's mad, I deserve that. I was being dumb and you know, I got what I what I deserve. But when I'm being good and then bad things still happen to me, I don't like that. Right? I'm like, no, 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 no. I remember even growing up as a kid, there were times where, where my parents would like lash out at me and, and you know, reprimand me for something. And I'm like, you should thank God you have me. Do you see what my friends are like? I am a God sent you. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I'm not in gangs. I've got good grades. I'm like, what do you have to complain about? Like, I would get so mad, and it's not like I was a saint, but again, in my mind, I was like, well, I didn't do anything wrong, and now you're coming at me? I mean, pride, right? It begins to well up within you. And here's the problem. When we feel that we have been wronged, when we feel like we're in the right, when we feel like God's not being fair, and by the way, you do not want a fair God. A fair God is terrible for you, (laughs) because a fair God means you get what you deserve. We have a gracious God who doesn't give us what we deserve. We have a loving God who holds back what we deserve. And so I'd rather have a fair, loving, and just God than a fair God. And so we get angry sometimes. We say, well, God, you're not fair. And why did you bless him and you didn't bless me? And and this person at my job, he's an idiot. Why'd you give them a promotion? I trained that person. We've all been there, right? Person we trained got the promotion above us. And we're like, but we want someone just like you. But I am me. (laughs) Elevate me. And we complain to God. And we get frustrated with God. But what did Paul and Silas do? They didn't complain. 
Why? I think they realize there's no point in complaining. Instead, they remember what it says in Philippians 2.14 because how ironic that the very church they plant there, this is what they say to them. Do everything without complaining and arguing. You know, everything means everything. Everything you do, you don't have a right to complain about it. You ever had somebody do you a favor and then complain about it? You know what I mean? Like when your sibling and you're like, hey, can you give me a, a cup of juice? And they complain the whole time. Like, you know, I'll get it myself. I don't even, I don't even need you. <laughs> you get frustrated, right? Because like, why are you going to do me a favor and then complain the whole way? And oftentimes we serve God, but we complain at the same time. Oh God, I mean, I, I'll do it, but I don't even like doing it. I don't even know why I got to, I don't know why practice is this early on Sundays. And I don't know why we got to show up for extra practices on this day. And I don't know why Pastor Joy made us all go through growth track. And I've been serving here a thousand years. I don't know, what's the point? And so we start, I'm doing it, but I'm going to complain the whole way. And again, I don't mind my personal being like, as long as you do it, you can complain all you want. I'm going to close my ear to you. <laughs> but we do that to God. Yeah, I'm going to be obedient, God, but you, I'm going to complain about it the whole time. And how does that help you? Why? And here's the worst part. What does that do to your testimony? Why would unbelievers be attracted to our Savior when they're saved, they're constantly complaining? <laughs> why, why would they want to come to your church when all you ever do is badmouth your church? Oh, the pastor needs to do this better, and the sound sounds like this, and da 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 but you should come to my church. Like, you don't even like your church. Why would I go to it? Listen, we have to be careful because here's the reality. I'm sure the inmates, those who are, are career criminals in that jail, I'm sure at midnight they were used to hearing certain sounds. They were used to hearing maybe anger banging on the bars. They're used to hearing cries. They were used to hearing screams. They were used to hearing people shouting to the heavens. You know what they were never used to, I would imagine? It's two prisoners in the lowest part of that prison in the dungeon with their feet in the stocks and the chains on their hands, worshiping God and praying. Why do you think everyone in the prison started to listen? The most attractive thing to a non-believer is a believer who loves God and doesn't complain. Because what happens is they see, they can see stuff going on in your life. They can see that you're struggling. They can see that things aren't breaking your way. They can see that that person got the promotion and you deserved it. I mean, other people see what you're going through. But the reality is when they see you going through hell and still worshiping God, it confuses them. When they see you going through the worst of the worst and joy still remains, it attracts them. How is it that you're going through what you're going through? How, how is it that you're coming out of a miscarriage and you can still sing on a Sunday? How is it that you can be in the midst of your marriage falling apart and you're still praying to your God? How is it that you can be in the process of financial ruin and yet it looks like you have the greatest joy in the world? Well, it's because our joy is not predicated on our happenstance, but on our God. We serve a good God, whether, whether the outside is good or not. The God that we have within us is always good. Listen, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7 goes on to say, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes, uh, recently, I just noticed in my head, uh, people ask, how's it going? Or I'll say, hey, how's it going? And I'll hear this reply, 
Oh, can't complain. And uh, uh, lately I've been saying, I mean, you can, but that's not going to do anything for you, is it? We can complain all day long and it will not change your circumstance. But I promise you this, prayer and worship absolutely will. Even if it doesn't change the circumstance, it changes you within the circumstance. And so that's why Paul says, listen, you're wasting your energy complaining. Instead, pray, worship. Why the combination? Listen, sometimes my prayer, it might come across as complaining to God because I am frustrated and I am confused and I am going, God, what are you doing? But God invites that. God doesn't mind that we unravel on him. See, it's not complaining when it's to him. It's complaining when it's to each other. If you got an issue, I don't mind you come to me. Let's talk about it. Let's resolve it. If you got an issue and you talk to everybody else, now I'm upset. Because you didn't try to solve it. You just wanted to talk about it. You just wanted to badmouth it. So when we come to the Lord with our issues, with our complaints, with our frustrations, he doesn't turn us away. He brings us closer in. And as we're drawn closer in, we start to realize some things. That I've got more than I've ever lost. I've gained more than I've ever lost. I have more in you than I could ever have anywhere else. And so your prayer will always lead to worship because as you get intimate with the Lord, your mindset begins to shift and you begin to understand things. That's why, like Pastor Jason was talking about last week, when we come into this house and we worship corporately and we begin to lift up our hands, there are times, I'll be honest with you, even myself, I don't feel like worshiping. But one of the greatest encouragements to me in those moments where I don't feel like worshiping is the worship of the saints. Because I start watching you worship. And I I just get encouraged and I get reminded. And man, I'm going to be honest with you. You guys sounded so great today. Me and Pastor Izzy were talking in the back and we said, man, they're really singing today. And it, it just always fills me with joy to hear the saints lift up their voice. And it encourages me to lift up mine, no matter my circumstance, because I know a lot of your circumstances, and there's a lot of other circumstances that I have no idea about. But in spite of what we're going through, even if we're locked up with chains and in the stocks in the lowest part of the prison of our lives, we could still worship our God in the midnight hour. And we could lift up our voice. Now, here's the crazy part. Here, Paul and Silas are in the middle of this whole situation. They're discerning that God's doing something, but it's not a comfortable situation, right? Their backs have been bruised and beaten. And by the way, in, in Jewish culture, they had the 30 lashes minus one. So they figured around 30 lashes, you die. So they give you 29. Romans didn't have rules like that. Romans like, I'm going to beat you till I'm tired. And so they had to have been in immense amount of physical pain. And then suddenly there's an earthquake, an unnatural earthquake, right? There's an earthquake. And what makes it unnatural? Earthquakes don't cause chains to fall off and gates to fly open. And so seemingly in this moment, I would have thought at least, God's answered my prayer. The chains are off, the door's open, this is my opportunity to leave. But let me encourage you with one more thought on that. Number three, if you're taking notes, don't rush to leave. Don't rush to leave. And and why am I saying that? They didn't run when the chains fell off. This is a supernatural phenomenon and they thought, surely this must be the Lord. Our chains have fallen off and the gates are open. This must mean that God is making a way. And 
I mean, they even had precedence because earlier we read about how Peter was in jail and how God sent an angel and miraculously broke Peter out of jail. So they, I mean, Paul could have easily thought, well, it happened to Peter and now God's doing it for us. All signs point to our personal freedom. But can I remind you of something, church? Not every open door is one you need to walk through. Paul and Silas had enough discernment to recognize what God was doing and what he wasn't doing. And here's our problem. We love to read the signs, but we don't read the word. And if you read the word, you'll be able to recognize easier the move of God. So for us, what happens is we read signs. Well, hey, listen, I, I, I've been trying to get out of this neighborhood. I've been trying to leave my job and there's a job opening over here and there's a house on the market over there and that must be God. Well, just because everything fell in line with what you want doesn't necessarily make it God. It just reinforces your own bias. Is it God or is it not? And so uh, we have to be careful because a lot of times when we see things line up in the way that we would like them to line up, we assume, well, this all is working in my favor. This must be God. But even in the Old Testament, we see that that's not true. In the Old Testament, there was a young man named David who gets anointed to be the new king of Israel. The old king Saul had, had done some messed up stuff and God had rejected him. And so God anoints and establishes a new king in David. The problem is David doesn't become the king right away. For whatever reason, God has a plan behind everything and it takes years before Saul is removed and, God is, and David is placed on the throne. In the meantime, David is growing in his reputation. David is honoring. David becomes a mighty warrior. David beats Goliath and all these accolades and David starts really getting a name for himself. And Saul doesn't like that. Saul, being a jealous king and probably aware that he's not honoring God and is on his way out, now starts a campaign to not only attack David, but to kill him and wipe him out. So now David is on the run, not doing anything wrong, right? Just honoring God, even honoring the king Saul. He hasn't come against them, but David and his crew are now on the run, hiding from cave to cave as Saul and thousands of his soldiers are on the hunt to kill David. And then there's a moment where all the signs are pointing to David going, man, this might be what God is trying to do. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 3, listen to what the word says. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the helm of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not kill Saul. Now, again, if I'm David, I know I've been anointed king. My crew is in my ear like, you got this, Joe. And I'm like, yeah, I got this. I mean, God's anointed me. Saul's, Saul's days are done. Maybe God is calling me to finish the job. And it's hard, too, when, when the people behind you are going, this is God, this is God. Hey, come on, let's look at it. This, this has to be God. And then suddenly, I believe not just his conscience, but the Holy Spirit began to speak to David. And David recognized, not only is this not God, this is against the Lord. 
I can't put myself in a position that only God can place me in. And I need to wait on the Lord for the right and appointed time. Even for myself, you know, God had placed in my heart when I was a teenager that there would be a possibility one day of me being a lead pastor here. It was something I just kept buried. I never talked about it to anybody. I, I didn't want to seem pretentious or, or egotistical. It was just, God, if that's really you, then in your time it will happen. And then as years became closer and, and the possibility of Pastor Carlos's retirement began to creep in closer, that reality was like, man, this is actually now maybe a possibility. Maybe this is what God is doing. But here's what I always made sure that I didn't do. I always made sure that I didn't let my heart and my mind run ahead of God's will. Because that would be a disservice to our youth, which was I was responsible for. And I, I never, you can ask Pastor Carlos, by God's grace, I never approached her going, hey, bro, you're getting a little up there. Like, when are you going to move along, brother? Never tried to, like, push him out and go, hey, now's the time. <laughs> no, no. God forbid I would have ever done that. No, I, I waited on the Lord. And you know what? There was plenty of really attractive opportunities that would come across my desk. There was two high-profile, high-paying jobs that came right before even the election. And I remember joking with them. They're like, so are you interested? I go, you know what? They're voting May 28th. Call me May 29th. <laughs> I'll let you know if they said yes or no to me. But the truth is, it was never hard because I knew what God was doing. So even attractive, seemingly godly things were not of the Lord because I knew what God was speaking. Some of you are in such a rush to leave your job, to leave your neighborhood, to leave that school. What if God strategically has placed you in that area? And you're so quick to leave, and now you think, well, here's an open door. It must be God. No, because even a demon was prefacing the gospel, and it wasn't God. You got to be careful. Just because it looks right doesn't mean it's God. Has the Lord spoken? Again, stop trying to follow God with your gut. You got IBS. It's not good. It's not trustworthy. We keep trying to like, I feel like, I kind of think that. You know what really, really helps? Get in your word and keep track of what God is speaking. Get in your prayer closet and journal what the Lord has been saying to you. That way, when you feel like, hey, I feel like God has been speaking this. Well, how do you know? Here's the last six months of what the Lord has said to me. And everything has been lining up in God's word and in my prayer life. And I just feel like the Lord keeps reinforcing this. You are making major decisions without asking the Lord. And so what ends up happening is you make the decision and then you go, God, you mind co-signing on this? And, God, and God's like, I'm not with you on that. And then things begin to unravel. You're like, oh, I thought God was in the God, what are you doing? And God's like, I never said I was in that. You thought I was in that. You thought I told you to leave this church. You thought I told you to leave that house. You thought I told you to get a new job. I'm the one who got you that job. No, you made decisions on your own, and because it benefited your life, you assumed, well, it must be the Lord blessing me. No, the devil can bring some blessings in your life too. And we have to be careful to discern which is which. You're praying your way out when God's plan has been to bring you in. Worship team, if you can help me out. See, Paul and Silas recognize God is doing something. So we don't need to pull out our Roman citizenship right now. Let's, let's see how this plays out. And even in jail, they recognize if God is the one that brought us here, there's no point in complaining about being here. 
And so instead, we're going to worship or we're going to pray now. We're not told specifically what they were praying about. They could have been praying for, for freedom in that situation. But honestly, I think they were praying for discernment. Lord, what are you doing? Reveal your plan. Help us to understand. We're in it. We're 100% in it. But show us. And I think God did. Because when the chains fell off and the gates flew open, they didn't leave. I think they recognize if we leave right now, that jailer is good as dead. And now we get to the jailer. And the jailer is witness to all of this. He's witness to this powerful move of God. He's witness the chains falling off and the gate flying open. And the mercy and grace of prisoners who have stayed put and said, we haven't left yet. Don't take your own life. And I believe all that combined with whatever the Lord had already been speaking to this Gentile prison guard causes him to rush and kneel before Paul and Silas and say, what do I got to do to be saved? You want to be a magnet for the lost? Stop complaining. You want to be a magnet for the lost? Stop trying to defend yourself at every turn. You want to be a magnet for the lost? Quit being in such a rush to leave where they are. Because there is a greater impact if you stick to God's plan. Let's go back to Acts 16 for the rest of the story in verse 31. He asked the question, what do I got to do to believe? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he, he, then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into the house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Listen, last point if you're taking notes. Don't rush the impact. It wasn't just the jailer who got saved, but his entire household. Now, we gotta be careful with this because if you misinterpret the scripture, you might read it in the wrong way. When he says, hey, listen, believe in the Lord with all your heart and you and your household will be saved. He's not saying you and then you get a plus one or a plus however many in your house. It doesn't mean if one person in your family gets saved that they get to bring everybody to the party. That's not what that means. Because the Bible shows us that Paul and Silas still went to his household and preached the gospel to everyone in there. The, the reality is when you say yes to Jesus, the opportunity for those in your household to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ increases a thousandfold because you believe. And let me just say this very, very importantly. I believe this goes double for the men in the room. The head of the household, the jailer, was the first domino to fall. I've seen it over and over and over again. Doing all the youth ministry, a kid gets saved, then the sister or the brother gets saved, then the, the mom gets saved, and almost always the last domino to fall is the dad. But whenever I've seen the dad be the first one to come to the saving knowledge of Christ, it's not long before the entire household follow suit. There is something powerful about the mantle that God has given you as heads of your household. This isn't just a statement of machismo to say I'm in charge. The reality is yes you are spiritually more than anything else. And if you follow Jesus, 
if you pray, if you worship, if you acknowledge God, your whole household now has an opportunity to be impacted. This is the reality of it. Acts 2, verse 38 through 39, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise, the promise, is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. Let me just close with this thought. I was thinking about this earlier. My cousin Jerry's here. Hey, Jerry. My cousin Jerry, the way our family lineage works out, is about the same age as my father. They grew up together in Puerto Rico. And I was asking my dad a while back, Bobby, how did you get saved? Tell me the story again. And he talked about how he had this battle with God. And, and I said, well, when was it? Like, was it at church? He goes, yeah, I went to go see Jerry and his brother Joe's baptism. The day before, he began to wrestle with the Lord. And he had one of those knockout, dragout fights with God. And he made a promise to the Lord that the next day he would go to church. And then just typical, the next day he woke up and he did not want to go to church. But he made a commitment to see Jerry and Joe's baptism. By the way, this is why baptisms are so critical sometimes. My father, not a believer, working in a bar, doing okay, but not living for God in the slightest, goes to see his cousin's baptisms. And after a 24-hour wrestling match with God, surrenders his life to the Lord at that altar. And that began a chain reaction. I've never known my father drunk. Never saw it. I've never known my father to be with another woman outside of my mother. Never saw it. I've never seen the sinful father before he knew Jesus. I only knew a God-fearing man. Was he perfect? No, we're not, none of us are. But by the grace of God, he and my mother met at church, both saved, raised their children up to love the Lord. I never had to wrestle. I've always had an opportunity to know God. And then God elevated me and my sister into the pastoral roles. And now I watch my children. Their favorite song is nothing but the blood of Jesus. And they just walk around our house, my little three-year-old and two-year-old, singing nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I can't help but wonder, where would I be if Jerry didn't get baptized, if my father didn't show up, if he didn't give his life to the Lord, if I didn't say yes to Jesus, and my wife didn't say yes to Jesus, and our kids now have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, and should the Lord tarry, their kids will have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, and their kids will have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, because something broke in the lineage of our family when one person said yes, and then the next, and then the next. Here's what I'm trying to help us understand. If you're faithful to the plan of God in your life, it will not just be you who's impacted, but those who you care about the most in this world. They will have a greater opportunity to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because they saw you. Because before they trust God, they trusted you. And your testimony and your witness Listen, some of us, we don't got to go back too many generations in our families to see brokenness, to see hurting, to see a life of sin and death. And we have the honor and privilege of sometimes being the first or second link in a chain of change 
that'll last until the Lord comes back for his people. So I want to ask you to stand as we get ready to close. Because I want us to pray. I believe next week there's going to be a number of those people that are going to have a wrestling match this week with God. And because you're inviting them to a Christmas Eve service, maybe because your kid is singing in the, in the ensemble, maybe because one of you is singing in the choir. Hey, would you come and see my kid? Grandma, grandpa, would you come and see our grandkids? They're going to sing a song. They may not want anything to do with God, but just to see that kid sing, they're going to show up. And not only will they be in this room, but I believe the Holy Spirit will be here as well. And I believe even now as we begin to pray, God will begin to draw them in. And, and just like my father, they'll begin to have a little wrestling match with God. And that next Sunday morning when they wake up, even if they don't want to, something will compel them to come. And I want to pray now that God would reach them. But before we do, I'm going to ask you, would you bow your head for just a moment? Because for some of you, I don't need you to wait till next week. Today is your day. You think you're here by coincidence. You've been here for weeks wrestling and fighting with God. And God is just saying, would you surrender? Hey Amen. The chains are off. The gate's wide open. And it's not for you to leave, but for you to come. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord, or, or maybe you used to live for God, but the truth is you've walked away. And today you want to make sure and rededicate yourself and, and confirm that I will walk with the Lord all the days of my life. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, would you just lift up your hand? I want to pray for you. Right where you're at. Thank you, sister. Come on, if that's you, if you want to give your life to Jesus, it's between you and God. This can change the trajectory of your entire household. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else says, that's me, pastor. I've been wrestling with God, but I surrender today. I'm not fighting anymore. Give one more chance, and then we're going to pray for you. Amen. Let me pray. Church, would you help me? Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you don't treat me as my sins deserve. And I ask you, God, right here, right now, forgive me of all my sins. Make me new and make me yours. Help me, Lord, to trust you and to follow you all the days of my life. I pray this. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Come on, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Listen to me. If you prayed that prayer, it's imperative that at the end of the service, you go out to that Connect Center and you let our team know, we want to help you with the next steps. It's no good asking my wife to marry me and then never talking to her again. There's some next steps after that. And we want to help you on that journey. But before we do, and again, we're going to take up one more offering today just for the staff. But can we pray for our households right now? I want to believe that God will give us divine opportunities and that God will draw them in. Hopefully next Sunday, but man, praise God. Let's say tonight. Let's say before then. In your household, in your living room. That God can do it anywhere. Because God is in you who believe. 
So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for those mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, cousins, friends, neighbors, the people in our vicinity, the people in our household. God, just like that jailer, it probably wasn't just his family, it probably was his servants as well, God. The people who dwelled in his home. God, I pray for the people who make up our circle, God. Lord, I pray even now that you would draw them in because your word says no one can come to the Father if they're not first drawn by him. God, it's not going to be with elegant words. It's not going to be with convincing arguments, but by your spirit, God. And so we ask, Father, would you begin to draw them in even now, God? Would you bring that sweet, loving conviction of the Holy Spirit, Lord? Would you begin to remove that heart of stone and put in them a new tender heart of flesh, God? Would you give us the right things to say and the wisdom of what not to say, God? Lord, I pray for greater discernment this week, oh Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray that whatever time it is, either tonight or next Sunday, Lord, whatever moment and opportunity you have as you draw them in, Father, we pray, would you open their eyes and their ears to hear and to see all the wonders of your love, almighty God. Would you give them that conviction that leads to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And would you help us to be not just good testimonies, but good disciple makers, Lord, that we would take them under our wings and we would lead them in the same way that we've been led, God. Lord, I pray specifically for next Sunday service. God, we're going to have wonderful elements, Lord. Our kids are going to sing. Our choir is going to sing. We have production. We have the word being spoken. But God, the whole point... The whole point of Christmas is that our Savior has come and that if we simply confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And we pray, Lord, that our household would be able to follow suit. So we pray for all of that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a hand, clap of praise one more time.